At the end of my book, I've got sections where I've written red flags to look out for, what to do in an emergency. I've got a a fake email that I've kept from eight years ago, which I dissect and we look at. And I really do give some practical steps for people to date safely online and how to get themselves out of an emergency if they're in one like I was. Podcast Junkies, episode 178. I am still in Yonkers, and I wasn't here before, but I'm here now. It's my father's birthday still. What time is it? Yes, it's 11 o'clock, and uh, he just celebrated 75 years. So that was uh, nice that I was able to be here and celebrate that with him. Three quarters of a century, I think that's a big deal. And uh, I'm back on the road again, heading down to MapCon, hanging out with the likes of Joe Pardo and that crew. Last year was my first time there, and I'm looking forward to hanging out with some of the folks who you've heard on this show that I met at MapCon, so it's going to be nice. As you might imagine, there'll be some more interviews coming out of that conference. In case you missed last week's show, I had a great conversation with Craig Price, host of Matinee uh, Heroes. It was a fun deep dive into all things movies, and Craig... Uh, was a, a great guest and allowed me to reminisce about some of the favorite movies of my past. This week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Jules Hannaford. I met Jules at Podcast Movement. She's the host of Hong Kong Confidential. We talk about the podcast that inspired her to create her own podcast and the trigger that caused Jules to create Hong Kong Confidential. She talks a little bit about how Chinese culture doesn't acknowledge mental health and sexuality, which is what the, her podcast delves into a little bit, and learning from podcasters who have mastered the field. She talks about her journey from Australia to Hong Kong and about the book she just published called Fool Me Twice, which is a very interesting story of how she was actually, uh, the, the proper term is catfished, and she um, survived to tell about it. It's an interesting tale. And she's become a stronger person as a result. She talks about how she's grown as a podcast interviewer and why she stopped caring about what other people think, which I always think as a podcast host is something you can do sooner rather than later if you're going to grow as a host. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 178. And this episode is brought to you by Squadcast. If you know what a double ender is, from Radio Terms and Radio Days. It's two high-quality um, audio files as a result of having a remote interview. And in the past, you'd have to do this by recording on an actual piece of software on your laptop and getting those two files sent over to the host. Squadcast.fm makes, you, makes it super easy for you to do now because it's all through a browser, no software to download, and it's all controlled by the host. And you end up with two high-quality WAV files which result in an amazing conversation that sounds like both people are in the room. Check out squadcast.fm to sign up today. Now, let's jump into this conversation with Jules. I think you're going to really enjoy it and learn a little bit about Hong Kong culture as well. And stay tuned to the end of the episode where I release this week's retention hashtag. Welcome to Podcast Junkies. Hey, Harry. Thank you so much. It's great to see you again. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) No, it's fun because I, listeners will know that I have um, so many ups and downs with uh, trying new platforms. And so I'm in, I'm on, we're using Squadcast today. And so no fault of theirs, I actually didn't press the record button. Uh, That's a rookie mistake. I think it's always a reminder to just... Sorry, it's yeah, a totally, rookie, totally, mistake. Totally rookie mistake. <laughs> yeah. But it's just a reminder, just uh, the importance of checklists and maybe just having a list by your, by your side of things to do like before you go live and... Um, so even me, who's been doing it four years every once in a while, <laughs> something as simple as pressing the record button is something uh, you would think would be pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah, I think you've just done that to make me feel very comfortable as your newbie guest who's only been podcasting for 11 <laughs> months. So thank you for that. <laughs> you made me feel much more relaxed. So <laughs> you're, left, you're, you're probably thinking, well, if, if Harry Duran of Podcast Junkies makes rookie mistakes like that, then I don't feel so bad. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's given me hope for the future. <laughs> Likewise, as, as we talked about, uh, each time we tried this, we met at Podcast Movement um, in Philadelphia. And it was uh, a great experience for me because I got to uh, teach a class for a podcast primer for any podcasters. And it was, I actually enjoyed it. And I think I'd like to keep doing it uh, more 
better than maybe a regular session because typically with a session you don't know who's going to attend and people come in and out. They don't know if they're going to get value. So sometimes they don't stay for the whole thing. But what I loved about that session was that it was a room full of a hundred folks, uh, new, new podcasting started, some doing it for a little bit, but they were just there for the whole two hours. And I did it with um, Corey Coates of Podfly and Jennifer Longworth. And I think we just made a nice combination because we all covered different parts of the podcasting process. So I think, um, and anytime I speak, I, I love the opportunity to, to talk with folks afterwards. And then that's where actually you and I connected. So it was really um, affirmation that I was in the right place uh, speaking to the to right crowd of folks. Oh, I tell you what, Harry, your session was absolutely amazing. I, I loved it. It was a great way to start pod movement. I learned so much in that session and felt so motivated. And I was just really honored that you shared so much of your knowledge with us. It was uh, great as an audience member to see all three of you up there really just being so open. And this is the thing about podcasters. And this is what I found at pod movement is that everybody's so generous and so warm and so supportive. And it's just a wonderful feeling. I feel like I found my tribe. Well, that's exactly the feeling that you get. And I remember that this is my fifth year at podcast movement. And it was really interesting. It's that exact feeling because where else can you go where you can literally talk about microphones and RSS feeds and download numbers and graphics and and marketing like for three days straight and not have anyone look at you strangely uh, because you're speaking the same language as, as everyone in the room. Yeah, exactly. And it goes even deeper than that because people want to help you by giving you tips and they want to, you know, do promo swaps with you or they want to, they want to see your podcast grow. It doesn't feel competitive. It feels really, really supportive. And that was what really surprised me and was just so wonderful. And so uh, was that the first time you'd been in Philadelphia? Yeah, that's the first time I've been to Philly and obviously my first pod movement as well. And unfortunately, I can't go to the next one next year because it's my it's in my first week back of teaching after my summer holidays. So I'll be working. So I'm hopeful that this in the two years time, I'll be able to go again if they put it in July. I've got to work out who to write to, Jared Eastley. <laughs> I'm going to write to him and yeah. tell him, yeah, yeah. <laughs> please put it in July. <laughs> There's another uh, conference that I, I like to support as well. It's called PodFest, um, and it's this one's going to be. It's also going to be in Orlando, but it's going to run by uh, Chris Kermitsos and John Dennis. And I've been the past couple of years, and it's a really another you know, community feeling uh, of folks there. And it's probably going to be close to 1,500 folks there in March, and I'll, I'll likely look to, to speak there as well. But that's another opportunity if you wanted to reconnect with podcasters. Oh, fantastic. And that could fall in my Easter holidays. So that could work really well. But I'll be meeting yeah. you in Brisbane in October because that's in my holidays and I'm going to We Are Podcasts in Brisbane Okay. in Australia. So I look forward to seeing yeah. you there. Yeah, I, I think I've touched upon it briefly, but I've, I've been invited by the, the creator of We Are Podcasts Yes, Ron Zivaz, uh, we're in a business mastermind together and we we met um, a couple months ago and we just hit it off and um, he was nice enough to invite me as a speaker. Um, Dave Jackson from the School of Podcasting is, is also going to be there. And so a couple of my friends, uh, Jordan Harbinger, I think is returning again. He, he gave the keynote last time, so he's going to be on a panel. Pat Flynn is going to be there. So it'll be fun. You know, you start to um, hang out in the same circle on a consistent basis. And so um, thankfully I've, I've, I've been... Um, lucky to, to have some of these folks uh, have come on the show and established you know, some, some friendships with them as well. So it's nice to see them on a regular basis. Yeah, I feel a little bit jealous that you get to do this full time. I think, I think that's great. That, well, I guess you have other stuff that you do as well, but it, you, know, you get to do it a lot more traveling around. So that's really fantastic. Yeah, and I'm, I'm doing a bit more traveling now, um, testing out a bit of the, the, the nomadic lifestyle. I'm spending some time here on the East Coast. I hadn't asked uh, seen my parents in a while. So I've been here for a couple of weeks and then I'm heading down to Florida to visit uh, a friend in, in Naples. So I'm going to be uh, working remotely from there. And I think I've been lucky enough as t- to your point um, that I've been able to build a business, my company Fullcast, which is, you know, what we do is now we produce a podcast for other folks. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's nice in this day and age because of all the tools that are available to us, like this podcast that we're using now, like Slack that we can, um, work remotely pretty pretty efficiently. Yeah, it connects people all over the world. I mean, there's something really special about audio and podcasts and the fact that 
People can listen anywhere and it's so intimate and I just love it. That's how I got started actually. I was really just addicted to listening to podcasts. I listen, I still do. I listen every day, daily. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Your favourites? Um, I love – I've been listening to Australian true crime and Canadian true crime. I love Pretend Radio, Javier Leva with his – have you listened to Pretend Radio? It's awesome. Oh, my gosh. He's brilliant. And I love Mentally Chill. I love My Favourite Murder. I've been listening to Conversations with Richard Feidler in Australia on the ABC. Just a Girl, the one about the mother who's got a transgender daughter. That's really amazing. It's really amazing. Mm. It's brilliant. Yeah, there's loads and loads. I, I love Podcast Junkies. I've been getting into that lately, just start since okay. I met you, starting to listen to some of yours. And I've been starting to listen to some of the ones of people that I met at Pod Movement, just forking around and the Desert Lady Diaries. And, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah. I've got a long list that I've got to get through. Yeah, I think some of those folks were in the, uh, the, the podcast primer session at Desert Lady Diaries. I, I, she's posted a couple of notes about some of the sessions and she tagged me and I thought it was fascinating, like her, uh, the premise of her show. So I think I'm a, that's on my queue. As you might imagine, my queue gets longer and longer of shows that I like to listen to for my own entertainment and then shows that I listen to that are my client shows and then shows that I listen to for possible uh, uh, invitations to podcast junkies. So it never ends. So oh, I yeah. need to find more and more creative ways to just listen to them. And sometimes they have to be at like 2x in order for me to just get through them. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so you got to uh, listen to them really fast. <laughs> That's brilliant. And it, it's something something you get used to. But I think, um, yeah, it's important. And I think I, I, I like the, the platform as an opportunity for me to uh, uh, expose listeners to shows that may, they may not otherwise have heard. Like, I, I, I know that, I don't know that a lot of people would have known about your show, Hong Kong Confidential, if it hadn't been for us meeting there and for me putting it, a platform out there for folks to, to, to hear about the shows. And it's just really, at the end of the day, this show is about me scratching my own itch, about my curiosity that makes it more interesting for the listeners because I really, I want to expose people to things that I'm interested in. And, and by virtue of that, if people, like me and, and, and my tone and the way I converse with people, then I think they'll at least give some of the shows a shot and, and just expand their horizons, which is what I'm after. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you giving me the chance to talk and talk to you and be on Podcast Junkies because and it's so funny because when I approach you to come on your show, it's kind of like, well, Harry, now that you've taught me everything that I know, <laughs> I'm going to ask you if I can please be a guest on your show because you told me to do this kind of thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it was great. But I think also it's I wasn't just asking you out of the blue because we made a lovely connection during the week and we chatted regularly and had a lot of fun and it was a great, great experience. And I think that's a lesson for me is that you can't just randomly ask people to be on their show, although it has worked for me in the past. Uh, Australian True Crime uh, put my promo up with me just approaching them. But I do think making that connection with people is really helpful. Yeah, and the other thing is um, I know that – some people always ask, you know, have you ever had to not air an interview because for whatever reason, like it didn't go as well as you planned or the connection wasn't as good or the content wasn't as good. And I think for folks that are just have interview shows or business shows and they're always trying to get like the biggest guest or the latest guest or, or the hottest topic um, on their show, if they're having these cold interviews, you're going to run the risk of maybe your guest and and i think i've always tried to for the most part have guests that i've previously met and it's a lot of times it's at a conference or at a meetup or referred by a really trusted friend and some of those have been some of the best conversations ever so it's very very rare I, i'll occasionally have people like reach out and the quality of their email is so uh, heartfelt and genuine and the content of the podcast is really really interesting where i'm just like you know what i i love the, the thought they put into it, I mean, so I'm going to give them a shot. And it usually turns out really well. And and then I've had PR folks reach out for, from bigger agencies. I've spoken to um, some some uh, broadcasters who are into podcasting now from um, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, the CBC. And I've interviewed uh, them and obviously they're professionals. So they, they do a really good job on the show. And then I've reached out to folks as well. I, I reached out to Mark Marin's producer uh, and, and that ended up well. And, and then I've had 
folks that are really big and that are reconnected at, or I met them at, at a session, like people like Pat Flynn, who came on, Cliff Ravenscraft, you know, just people that have been doing it for 10 years whose stories I'd love to tell. And so it's been a nice mix. And I just am lucky enough that I always seem to have uh, conversations that flow well because I, I put some thought into who it is that I want to have on this platform. Yeah, I can see that from those shows that I've listened to. I love the way that you connect with your guests and you connect with people exactly like that in real life as well. You're such a warm and generous person. It was a real pleasure to meet you. And I think that's evident in the way that you podcast. And I find the same thing in Hong Kong. I get referred through people or if I meet people and it's a great way for me to get guests and I have the most incredible guests who share the most personal parts of their lives with me and really go deep. And it's, it's a real honor to have people really open up on that level and share their innermost secrets or their heroic journeys with me and with my listeners. And I think that's part of why my show is getting more and more listeners every week, which is just great. So talk a little bit about, um, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of the shows that you were fans of, but was it the listening to those shows on a consistent basis that motivated you to start your own show? Or was there something else that was like the trigger for you where you felt like you, you now wanted to have a voice and you now wanted to have a platform? That's a great question because I actually went to some life coaching. I was having some issues with my relationships with people and particularly the way that I was relating to some women in my personal life and, and at my work. I went to um, life coaching and I realized that I had developed this massive love of podcasting because I was actually going through menopause. And during menopause, I wasn't sleeping. I was having real trouble sleeping. It's one of the symptoms of menopause with the hot flushes at night. And I found that podcasting was a great way for me to actually, it, it's actually part of my mindfulness regime is listening to podcasts. And I just love it so much. And I've actually got a background in media. I worked in film and television when I was very young. I did my degree as a Bachelor of Arts in Communications, majoring in film and media. So I knew that I had some of the skills and the ability to actually start my own podcast. So I just, after this four sessions of life coaching, just decided that I needed to do something creative. I needed to stop watching hours and hours of reality television and actually get off my butt and do something that was more meaningful. And I did a 21-hour course with some young guy in Melbourne on Udemy, which cost me about $7. And then I bought all the equipment on Amazon. And then I taught myself how to edit in Audacity and all of the skills that I needed through YouTube. And here I am today and I have not looked back. It's changed my life with the people that I've met. And in fact, you know, one of the most life-changing parts was having people share their innermost secrets with me and that inspired me to finish writing my book. You know, I don't think without having podcasts that I would have had the courage to finish the book um, it's about me being scammed in internet dating and I was scammed and injured. I lost money and um, I was injured by this guy based on the fact that my guests, you know, were able to be so open with me. I thought, well, have the courage and you be open and finish your book. So I did. That's an amazing story. And I think it just speaks to your drive and, and your initiative or your passion or something that was moving you inside um, to tell your story, uh, because I think part of you probably realized that in the same way people helped you in your time of need, um, by having a platform to have these conversations with folks and by writing the book, I think those were two avenues for you to, as a form of catharsis, like, you know, release, you know, some of what you, you needed to release, but also then now by virtue of doing that, show people that it's okay to talk about these topics. And I know um, you had someone on recently that was talking about depression, um, which is not something that's depression and anxiety, and it was not, not not a topic that's very common. So I think anytime you have those platforms, it's it's just had this ripple effect because people hear those stories and they hear it from someone that's like in Hong Kong. They wouldn't relate to it if it was something that they heard in the States or um, in the UK or in, in Australia, but they hear it in Hong Kong, they hear someone in their, in their native, you know, who's who's got the same accent as they do or, or is 
Chinese and talking about topics that are not specific, you know, usually talked about. So I, I think it's fascinating what you're doing. And so I'm just curious about what, what the reaction has been for, for people when they hear topics like that being discussed so openly. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It is. And you know what? Depression and mental health issues and even issues of sexuality or um, gender and stuff like that are not really discussed in Chinese culture. It's kind of don't ask, don't tell sort of um, attitude. And so people are not sort of actively disowned or, or chucked out of their families, so to speak, but it's not really spoken about. And uh, Olivia, the girl that I interviewed who was suffering from bipolar and depression and anxiety, she went through a huge, di- hugely difficult time because her friends just kept saying, get over it. And her family didn't want to know about it. And even her bosses were saying, you've got to hide it. You can't be open about it. And for her, she really wanted to speak out about it so that other people who were suffering from the same uh, mental health issues would be able to speak up and get the help that they need because there is help out there for people who are suffering from mental health issues or domestic violence or abuse or any of these serious issues, even, you know, being scammed on the internet. There's ways that you can get help, but people often don't know what they are. And I think that through my podcast, the reaction has been amazing. All of all of the reviews and the feedback and the texts and the comments that I get on social media are all positive. It's been a hundred percent positive so far. Touch wood. <laughs> Let's hope it stays that way. But it really does seem that people like talking or like hearing people talk about the more difficult issues because they're universal themes that are relatable to everybody on some level. What? When you started the show, did, did you know that you were going to be doing this format? Is it all interview-based and you, you know, you're coming up on 50 episodes? Are, have they all been interviews or have some been solo as well? No, they've all been interviews and I knew right from the start that that's what I wanted to do. It was really my favourite genre of podcasts. I absolutely love hearing people's stories and storytelling I think is an intrinsic part of Every culture, every culture in the world has storytelling. And I think that everybody has a story. Every single person you talk to, if you're a good listener and you're able to connect with that person and ask the right questions and show empathy and really be interested in what they've got to say, they've got a story that they can share with you. So I knew right from the start that I wanted to do an interview style show and it's been entirely interview style and that's how Hong Kong Confidential will stay. With my book, Fool Me Twice, I do want to turn that into a podcast and that's going to be more of a narrative true crime style podcast. And I'm in the process of rewriting that and um, into a audio podcast form well my daughter's helping me with that as well and um, I'm hoping to put that together in a sort of six to eight part series a little bit like Dirty John which is another one of my favorites oh my god and have you listened to The Teacher's Pet from Australia? To which one? The Teacher's Pet have you listened to that? That's an amazing true crime podcast it's killing it it's probably the top podcast in Australia You've got to check it out. I tell yeah, you, I, it's one of the best. <laughs> <laughs> and I have no affiliation yeah, with so. it whatsoever. I, I, I <laughs> well, uh, Dirty John was interesting because uh, I actually got to interview Hernan Lopez, who's the uh, the founder of Wondery, which is the, the network that it was launched on. And it was in Los Angeles. And I, I it was a partnership with the Los Angeles Times. And it was a, a sort of moment, you know, certain moments in podcasting where you feel like, wow, this is like transcending, you know, just the typical podcast world that we live in. Um, the big one was when Obama was on Mark Maron, and I'm like, wow, it's a podcaster interviewing, the, you know, a standing president. A very cool moment. But then another one for me was Dirty John. I was in a, a CBS pharmacy, and I saw uh, it was Sunday night, so the paper, uh, uh, the front page of the Los Angeles Times had Dirty John as a promotion, and naturally because it was in partnership with the Los Angeles Times. But I remember walking by and saying, wow, this is big. This is a big moment because, and kudos to, to Hernan and what he's been able to do. He's just really a master at like growing and shows. Uh, and he comes from a background of uh, at Fox um, International, I think. So he, he knows what he's doing. So, <laughs> and, and it's interesting when someone can take that skill set and bring it to the podcasting world. So 
I think just for me, um, I think the nature of true crime, I, I don't know that I can get into it too much because I, 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 some of it is gets a little depressing for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you've <laughs> got to have the right mindset. The topic, you know, yeah, I've got the right mindset. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love yeah. it. It's a genre that really has taken off. And so I think um, some of the shorter ones I'll, I'll probably listen to, I'll probably just have to binge um, just to be uh, stay apprised of what's happening in that genre because there's so many interesting things that are happening um, in so many different genres as well. And then there's, there's whole networks being created just on that genre, which, which I find fascinating. Well, to me, I mean, this is something that I picked up at Pod Movement Festival, that it seems like either true crime or finance and business seem to be the podcasts that really are taking off. Would you agree? That was my impression. Yeah, I mean, it's always been like that. And, and obviously, like the financial and business ones seem to have more visibility just because of the nature of, of how they do well from a marketing perspective. Because um, like some of my friends who have podcasts that are in the entrepreneurial space, I think it's the nature of an entrepreneur to always figure out, like, how do I get the word out about my show? So I think of John Lee Dumas, who is making probably close to $3 million a year in podcasting. And it's no secret because what? he actually publishes on his website. Oh yeah, so you can go to entrepreneuronfire.eofire.com and it'll literally tell you how much he made that month. Oh, uh, my gosh. Uh, he, and him and Pat Flynn are... Him and Pat Flynn are very transparent about what they've done and how they've been able to grow, you know, their their podcasting empires. And it's all started with like consistent content, which they then turned into courses, which they then turned into like live events and teaching. So what's fascinating is just having the discipline and to, to do what for a lot of people might be difficult. I remember something I was, we were in the speaker's room and, and John was in there. He said, um, what happened is when I started, I went after a, a, a niche that it was difficult to enter. So um, he's like, well, if you go, to, if you go somewhere where the, the, the challenge is, is high and the bar is high, then you're not going to have a lot of competition. So for him back in whatever it was, 2012, um, he went after a seven a day, seven day a week podcast, which everyone told him was like the most ridiculous thing you could ever do. But he came from a military background. He's like, no, I, I'm going to do it. And he, in the beginning, he would record eight episodes in one day. You know, he would batch them so that he'd have all his episodes done for the week. And if you think that's amazing now, like last year, Podcast Movement, he told me now he records 15 episodes on one day and 15 the next day. And he, that takes care of his 30 episodes for the month. Oh so as you might imagine, very, very, very few people are going to have the discipline to do something like that. And so, you know, kudos to him for understanding that he needs to like step up his game if he's going to compete at that level. Because um, he knows that if, and, and it's for anyone who wants to take on something that will to do it. If you do it in a way where people can see there's a lot of work involved, you're not going to have a lot of competitions, but if you have the opportunity to, you have that first mover advantage. But if someone were to try seven day a week podcast now, it would have anywhere near the success that, that John has had. Um, so, you know, I, I think of that and I think of shows like my friend Erica Mandy has a show called uh, The Newsworthy. It's just a seven, eight minute show. It's news, and she calls it fast, fun, um, and I always forget the third one. I think it's fast, fun, and informative or something like that. You know, she does a show every day as well. It's It comes out at 4 a.m. Eastern every single day, and she has a background in news. She's been doing, she was a reporter for 10 years. And again, it's like not a lot of people are going to have the, the skill set and the discipline to do something like that. So anytime you can, you can do something at that level, I think, is, is where you're going to separate yourself out from the rest of the folks. And thank you for saying that because that's really made me just think right now that Hong Kong is a really a great opportunity to build something like this because there aren't that many English-speaking podcasts in Hong Kong that I can find. It's growing slowly, but, you know, there's only about eight. There's not that many coming out of Hong Kong. There's a few more in Cantonese. But there's never mm. been a um, – oh, I think there was one podcasting festival maybe 10 years ago, but there hasn't been a podcast festival. We're going to try and get one going next year. There's opportunities for teaching and building sort of a network and connecting here in Hong Kong. And having a background as a school teacher would really help me be able to build that, I think. So that's a real possibility. So, and I went to, you know, I learned so much from so much at podcast movement. It was amazing. And I went to John's session, John Lee Dumas, and it was amazing learning about funnel marketing and all that sort of stuff. It was incredible. 
Yeah, and I think what's interesting is uh, when you when you see a lot of the um, established uh, we call we call them uh, I, um, so what what we do I, ca- I call ourselves indie podcasters because it's a lot of our, like the folks that started you know we just are a podcast about a specific hobby and we didn't have a, come from a background in radio so we call the the radio folks the procasters <laughs> and so interestingly enough a lot of the pro, yeah the procasters they have the the background they have the 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 skill set and the training and the education. So they've got the great voice um, and they know how to you know deliver their messages on radio. But what's interesting is when they come to the world of podcasting, you know, their shows sound great and they, they put a lot of time into production. But I think where they stumble sometimes is that like they don't know how to market their shows and they don't know how to make money with their shows because that's not their background. And I think they sort of roll their eyes at all these marketing podcasts. And, and so there's something to be said for like learning from the people who do that part of it really well and not eating your eyes at them or saying like, oh, you know, they're, they're just in it for the quick buck. You know, I think there's a happy medium because you can do, you know, they say that if you, you know, do what you, uh, love every day, then you'll never, well, it's something like if, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so people have to understand that there's, you know, you have to learn. And then when you go to sessions like John's, like, you know, bring in the discipline of what you learned from radio and, and broadcasting and then see how you can marry that with some of the, the business savvy that, that the folks like John and Pat and, and, and Cliff have, have, have demonstrated so that they, they, you know, that they've made a career out of podcasting as well. It was interesting at Podcast Movement because there were so many different tracks that you could choose from. You could choose from your advertising and sponsorship monetizing track or your, you know, narrative storytelling creative track and all of that. And I really did focus a lot on going and looking at what I could do to build my brand and how I could use social media effectively and how I could look towards monetizing and building my audience in the future. It's still, and obviously that all comes down to having good, solid, content that's consistent and that people want to listen to you've got to have that to start with but then from there there's so much that i learned so it was really amazing we talked a little bit about you going from um how you ended up in in hong kong and i think that's the part that we lost (laughs) the first time so maybe we can circle back around to that and and tell you to a little bit of your story of how um how an aussie ends up in hong kong Yeah, well, I was teaching in Australia. I was a single mom and my mom called me when my daughter was about eight years old and said, oh, there are these jobs in Hong Kong. Why don't you apply to go over there and teach? And I was like, why would I want to go to a country where I'd be the tallest person in the whole country? Because I'm six foot tall. And so then we just left it. And then two years later, the jobs came up again and she rang me up again and said, those jobs are going in Hong Kong again in international schools. And this time I just thought my daughter was 11. Uh, I asked her if she was interested in going and she said yes. And if she'd said no, I probably wouldn't have applied. And I applied and got a job in an amazing school and I came on a two-year contract and I've been here for 18 years now. I've got an amazing job that I absolutely love. I teach in a school that's got students from 42 different countries around the world. It's very multicultural. I live on a little island called Lama Island, which is a Chinese fishing village off Hong Kong. I've got to catch a ferry to get here and to get to work. And you've got to walk or ride a bicycle everywhere. There are no cars on this island. And it's just really, it's an amazing lifestyle to live in this groovy little, funky little sort of Asian fishing village right next to this big metropolis of Hong Kong, one of the biggest, biggest business cities in Asia. It's quite a dichotomy and it's quite a contrast. And it's really lovely to have the best of both worlds only 25 minutes apart on a ferry. It's so interesting. I think what a lot of people wonder about is how do you just uproot what you currently know as your way of life and the culture that you're using, friends that you may have left behind. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the mindset because you know I've thought about it, thought about that at times. Maybe going to live in a country for for a spell of time, and I think a lot of people are afraid. I think they just they're so set in their habits and their way of life. And this is the way my life is supposed to be. And I think there must've been something in your mind that said, you know, it was time for a change um, that, that gave you that push um, because I, I would think it's, it's something that, that not, not, not a lot of people can do. 
Exactly. And I have to say that I really think it was about me being single. I was single in Australia. And I think part of me thought I've got to get out and go out into the world and see if I can find my partner out in the world somewhere. And I didn't really realize that Hong Kong wouldn't be an ideal place for me to find a partner because, first of all, it's such a fast-paced city that it's really everyone's so busy and people work long hours and it's very hard to meet people. It's predominantly Asian and I'm six foot tall and looking for somebody taller and everybody tells me that that's a flaw that I have and I should let that go, but unfortunately I can't. And, um, you know, so I think that's really part of why I came. Also, I guess I was only coming for two years initially. So it's easier just to like do a little bite-sized piece and think, okay, I'll go for a couple of years and then I can come back. And I think yeah. that made it easier than think if I'd thought I was going forever, I maybe might've been more reticent about going, but I ended up absolutely loving it. It was the best thing I ever did. And I really have no regrets at all. It's just been amazing. And that's how I ended up sort of internet dating when I got here and then getting myself into all that trouble in my, that I've written about in my book. (laughs) (laughs) You know, those things that uh, makes you stronger. Yeah. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Honor for stories that can potentially help other people too, because I think sometimes we, in life we go th- through um, trying times that that then we wonder like what's like why is this happening to me? Um, and if we can kind of in the moment, it's hard to get yourself out of that, you know, because when it's happening to you, that's you can't really tell that story. But it's happening, you have to give it some time, give it some space, and then look back and say. You know, these are lessons learned. These are things I did wrong. These are things that could, um, that got me into that situation. And then if you can find a way to, to, to tell a story around it, I think, uh, inevitably it'll help people, um, hopefully somewhere down the road. Yeah, I'm hopeful of that as well. And I think that I had to really overcome the shame of the choices that I'd made. That was the hardest part. I felt so ashamed and I, I felt so foolish for being caught in basically a dating scam where I lost money and I was injured and, you know, could have been killed really. And at the end of my book, I've got sections where I've written red flags to look out for, what to do in an emergency. I've got a um, a fake email that I've kept from eight years ago, which I dissect and we look at. And I really do give some practical steps for people to um, date safely online and how to get themselves out of an emergency if they're in one like I was. And I think in my 20s, I was in two domestic violent relationships for um, the whole of my 20s. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I'd experienced that domestic violence, when this guy started to kick off with me like a psycho um, in Manchester in the UK, I w- my initial reaction was, oh, crap, here we go again. And I was able to stay completely calm. I didn't get angry. I didn't get hysterical. I just stayed calm and kept my wits about me Mm. completely. And I think that's what essentially saved my life. So I've written about this in the book and I'm hoping that it can be a really good learning tool for others so that they, first of all, don't get caught I mean, when I got caught in this, this was in the beginning of internet dating. Dating scams weren't so prevalent in the media. I didn't have an understanding of it. And I'm such a good-hearted person and I want to see the good in everyone else that I just had this feeling that everybody was lovely like me, but they're not. You know, there's unfortunately some evil people out there in the world. So I'm hoping that my story will help other people either A, come to terms with their story if they've been scammed or made a mistake in the past themselves or not to get caught in the same trap. So, yeah, I'm hopeful. So the book the book comes out in uh, 12 days now. It's going to be launched on Amazon, so it's very exciting. Well, that's great. Uh, the book will be out, so we'll make sure you send us the, the link and we'll put those in, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. I just actually got an excerpt from the book published on um, in Thrive Global with Ariana Huffington's okay. uh, website just this week. So that was super exciting. Yeah. And it was the same. I got to actually, I got to, 
I got shortlisted to pitch my book as a podcast at Pod Movement Festival. So they must have had hundreds of applications That's and right. they selected three people to pitch and I was one of them. So that was an incredible experience. That was amazing. And that's the story that I pitched is the okay, story that bit, I put. Talk a little bit about that. Well, that was amazing. I mean, I had to kind of re the story that I shared is a story where partway through my visit with this guy who was scamming me, I realized it was going wrong. And so I had tried to escape from the hotel room with my money that I'd given him. And when I talk about the story, my heart still pounds. Like even eight years later, I still have this visceral reaction. And I wrote that story for the pitch and I told that story before I introduced the podcast. And it was just such a wonderful experience to be shortlisted, to have the opportunity to pitch it, to have an audience of people. And that night when we all went out to the um, the the markets for that party afterwards, I had a lot of people coming up to me and saying they want to buy my book and congratulating me on the pitch and telling me how what I'm doing is really brave and helpful. And it was just great. Like it was so rewarding. And um, the Audible people seemed really happy with the three pitches. There's one guy that pitched on the CIA and another girl that pitched a, a fiction um science fiction story and my story about being scammed on the internet. So still waiting to hear. But even if nothing comes of it, it was an honour to be selected and it was an amazing experience to have that opportunity to pitch. Yeah, that's really good because I think anytime that's – and when I take uh, – I've taken speaking course, uh, courses and, and training and so like every time I get the opportunity to tell my story, even though I'm, I'm doing it like what you saw because there was part of it where I where – I, tell people like what my background is and how I ended up where I ended up. And I think anytime you can, you can have the opportunity to practice that like you did with your pitch, I think it's, it's just better for you. The more you tell it, the more you tell it, the more you tell it, the more you'll get better at telling it and relating to people and connecting with people. Cause I think it's something that uh, people can, can uh, vibe with. And they say like, if you're just going to give them the information or if you're just going to talk about your podcast, that's one thing. But if you're going to tell the story of how you ended up, on the, you know, how you end up creating the podcast and why you did and how you, and how you ended up writing the book and the story behind it. I think people then can relate to you as a person and they just feel like they can connect with you so that anything, any content that you produce, they'll feel more drawn to it because they, you know, they appreciate you and the story you're telling. Absolutely. And I want to, in both my podcast and my book, I wanted to keep my voice. I wanted to be authentic and be really writing in my voice. And, and I try to be wholly myself whenever I podcast as well. And I don't put on any airs and graces or I don't pretend to be something that I'm not. I'm not. And I certainly am okay with showing my flaws and my mistakes because I think it's important and I think it can make a difference. How have um, you, like I said, up to about episode 50, how do you feel you've grown as a, as a podcast interviewer? I think I've become better at listening, like really listening. And I think uh, in the beginning, I perhaps I would research and write my questions and send the questions to the guest and keep referring to my questions. And I think now I do it much more organically and much more naturally. And I think one of my best skills is really listening to what's being said and responding to what's being said. And I think that's a key skill as an interviewer. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely would agree. And I think um, what's important is realizing that you, you need to be okay with like silence sometimes because people are thinking about their, that's one of the main reasons that I do video because I want to try to at least get some sort of body language or eye contact uh, connection with my guests. And I find and I don't know if you can hear it, but we've got apparently some landscaping now going on. <laughs> oh, is that what that here. was? so funny. <laughs> That's interesting. In the world of podcasting, the show must always go on. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, but it, like, I really, really appreciate the, the, the fact that I can have, have these conversations with people because it helps me become a better interview, become a better listener. And it helps me become a better empathizer because, you know, there's something to be said about, about focusing on the story that the person is telling you and really feeling what it is that they're sharing, that they're bearing their heart, that they're opening up their soul to you. And it's you would be doing them as a disservice if you didn't give them the time to connect with them for that period of time um, so that they feel that they're in a safe setting to share their story. And I think that just makes, it just makes uh, for more impactful um, storytelling and it's well with, with the audience. I totally agree. And I think the other thing that I like to 
a skill I like to develop is really asking them more difficult questions in a way that people feel comfortable. So delving deeper, but doing it in a way where you're not putting people on the spot or you're not judging them or you're not making them feel uncomfortable, but you're getting right down to the nitty gritty of the story. And I think that's what the listeners want. They really want that. And I can see that in some of the reviews that I've got on iTunes that that's what the listeners really love is my questions and how I really go deep into the topics with people. And I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I've actually got a podcast. Oh, well, you might want to cut this later because this will come out afterwards. But there's a podcast coming up this Saturday with a girl who was 31 who had a stroke. And it's amazing I'm so proud of it she's so amazing I'm really really excited for this podcast to go out it's just it's it, what's, it's what's just, her name because obviously if even after those like in, in the library of your episodes um her name is Kate McAllister and it's episode 50 and it's going to be and it's called stroke and it's moving, it's inspirational, it's a story of courage. She's amazing. Oh, my God. And at the end, we were both crying. Like We're trying to keep it together to close the um, interview, but we just both had tears rolling down our face. Like It's so emotional. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm quite excited for it. And she's an amazing, amazing woman who in two years has just recovered incredibly. She's only 33. Try to keep the focus on folks that are living in the Hong Kong area, or do you open it up to people all over? Given that it's you know Hong Kong confidential, I mean, there's obviously no short our interview base, but I'm wondering if you continue to keep your focus uh, on on Hong Kong. The criteria really is that it's people living or visiting Hong Kong. I had a firefighter who came from Australia and he was here and I interviewed him and he told the story of how he was caught in a backdraft with his partner. He was only 25, he was badly burnt and he went back in and rescued his partner and pulled him out. He was a hero. So it, the criteria at the moment is I want it to be face-to-face because like you, I love to have that actual connection with my guests because I think you can hear it. And that's why I think it's so important that we're doing video and mm-hmm. it's great to do it in person. And um, the criteria really is just anybody. So when you're here, Harry, I want to interview you for my podcast when you come to Hong Kong. <laughs> and. Also, definitely, but definitely. I did actually do an interview over the summer with my nan, who is a hundred years old. So I interviewed her in Australia. She's a hundred. She's got all her marbles. She's amazing. She lived independently on her own in her home until just the last few months. And I interviewed her about her life. So I'm going to deviate from my own rules and put that podcast up a little bit later because it's, I think people will love to hear it. It's a really amazing story. And to just think that this woman's a hundred is brilliant. You know, what's interesting is that when you first get started, you, we, we set up these rules that we think are, are, you know, maybe because we saw other people do them or we think that we need to like conform to some sort of standards. And I remember early on, I would say, I would, I'm only going to speak to podcasters who have 50 or more episodes because then they're, demonstrating that they're really taking it seriously. And I've had, you know, people who have had less than 10 because I just was so fascinated by their topic. And I think at the end of the show, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, like it's my podcast, it's my rules and I can, you know, whatever I feel that I want to do. I think that, you know, my listeners at, at this point, um, it's, they talk about this idea of no like and trust, right? In the beginning, no one knew who I was. So, you know, I, I tried to like have interesting people on it, but then I would tell you like you and I've since changed that phrase thanks to my friend Katie Kermitzos to know, love, and trust. So I like that. That one resonates with me a little bit more. So, um, you know, my fans and my super fans really love me and the show and they trust me now. So that, so they know that when I put out episodes, you know, they'll give, you know, unknown podcasters whose name they've never heard of as it comes across their feed a shot and, and, and invariably like find new and interesting podcasts and podcasters. And I think that's, that's been the mission uh, from day one, but I think I've, I've built up that trust and I built up that, that, that relationship with my listeners um, because of all the work I've put in over the past four years. And I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure because people see what you're doing and if you, every once in a while, maybe if you do something like a solo show or you do something that's, they trust what you've given them up until this point. So they give you some leeway and, and then they, they are probably pleasantly surprised when they hear episodes like that. 
Yeah, and I think that I didn't, when I started Hong Kong Confidential, I think the premise of the show being just people from Hong Kong, it gives me a broad range. I can do mental health issues, activism, you know, firefighters, a shark export expert, you know, anything. And the other thing that was really lucky for me is that I was picked up by Ozcast Network in Australia very, very early on. They gave me a chance when I was very new. I mean, I was probably only 15 episodes in and they picked me up and that's been really helpful for me just to have them there helping, you know, uh, promote my, my brand and, and guiding me and giving me support. And that's been amazing. But I think, you know, you're now giving me another amazing opportunity. Nobody's going to any, none of your fans have going to have heard of Hong Kong Confidential. And I really, really cannot tell you how much I appreciate this opportunity and you taking, taking a punt on me and including me in your show. It really means so much to me. So. I've got a lot of people behind me like you, like Ozcast Network, like Australian True Crime, Canadian True Crime are going to run my promo in September. Mm. Like, unbelievable. It's amazing. So this is why I really feel like I've found my tribe because the support I'm getting is ridiculous. And something that I've learned is if you don't ask, you don't get. And if you ask... It's amazing what, yeah, what can happen, like the doors that are opening because I'm just asking people if I can go on the show or do a promo swap. It's been amazing. Josh Hallmark is another one. He's been amazing and so supportive as well. There's a whole bunch. So I feel very, very privileged. I'm not even at one whole year of podcasting yet. So I feel very, very lucky. So thank you so much. I think it's this idea of paying it forward because I was where you were, you know, you know, three years ago, and you know, there's a lot of people that took chances on me. I think about some of the, the people who volunteered to come on the show. You know, some of my early guests like um, uh, Chase Reeves and Greg Hickman and Cynthia Sanchez, who is not even podcasting anymore, and they were, you know, pretty big podcasters, indie podcasters, you know, at the time, and Jeff Brown, um, who's the host of the Read to Lead podcast, and just all these people that I just kind of looked up to at, at that point, because they were doing something interesting. They were maybe two or three years ahead of me, and they took a chance. I mean, they're, they're like, you know, we see each other at the conferences, and, and we've seen that we're, we're all growing our shows together. Liz Covart of Benjamin and Franklin's World is doing amazing things with her show. And it's just fun um, to come across these friends that, have, you know, we all started roughly around the same time. Uh, Drew Ackerman of the Sleep With Me podcast. Oh, that's brilliant. His, the purpose of yeah. his show is to make you fall, make you I fall asleep. <laughs> I know I tried it. It's great. <laughs> and so just, yeah, so he's just so many amazing friends now that are doing great things. And and that's what you'll find too. Like you're, you're opening the door for people who probably may be interested in podcasting because of your show. So I think um, as long as we all always have that mindset of paying it forward, I think it's always going to be a good thing. And that's something that's very common in the, the podcasting community. So I think you're on the right path. And the fact that you go to a podcasting conference, like it, it couldn't have been an easy trip or a cheap trip for you to travel halfway around the world to, to go to a podcasting conference. But I, 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 I'm sure you've already seen that doing that and, and being in person with those people for those few days. Oh, the benefits were just unbelievable. And they're unfolding as we go along. It's not just that week. There's, you know, I've still got so many things to implement. I've got connections made. I'm starting a, um, a mastermind group with a group of women that I met at PM um, 18. So there's so many opportunities coming up. And you know, I'm looking forward to seeing some old faces at um, the one in Brisbane that I go to, and I'll definitely go back to podcast movement as soon as I can. I really feel like I've found my passion. I feel like I've found something that I really, really absolutely love and that I want to continue doing. It just as, you know, I love my job teaching, but I have to retire at 60 from where I'm working and I'm 53, nearly, oh my God, I'm nearly 53. So I've only got seven years left in my job and I feel like I need to build something else for the next chapter of my life that's coming up because I can't see myself starting as a teacher in a school at 60, in a new school. I can't really see that happening. And the beauty of the beauty of podcasting is it's audio. So as I age and everything goes downhill, hopefully if my voice stays young, <laughs> I'll still be relevant. <laughs> so that's the bonus of well, being in audio. 
Yeah, and you're learning a skill set um, that's, I think, just going to be getting more and more popular. Um, and the fact that you know how to produce a show now is going to be very helpful. And so I, I can clearly see you moving and transitioning to you know a business that has more and more podcast related, especially if you focus on the niche of where you are, maybe something to having to do specifically with the location in Hong Kong or the fact and you can podcast about that or you can have like this network of, of like-minded shows. So I think the sky's the limit and I think you're already on the right path and you've probably gotten a taste of what's possible by seeing some of the sessions at Podcast Movement. So um, definitely kudos to you for, for thinking that way. And I, and I definitely think you've got the, the discipline um, and the focus to, to, to get something, to, to, to launch something successfully. Well, thank you so much for your having that faith in me, Harry. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to give it my best shot, that's for sure. And, and you know, even if it doesn't take me anywhere more than where I am now, I'm absolutely loving what I'm doing. I'm absolutely loving it. And it's changed my life. It really has changed my life. And meeting people like you is just an absolute bonus. It's brilliant. So thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> and and so a couple of questions as we wrap up that I like to ask all my guests. Uh, the first is, what is something you've changed your mind about recently? I've changed my mind about worrying about what other people think of me and I did a Brené Brown course recently. I did a um, Rising Strong course with a Brené Brown facilitator, and that was amazing. And it really made me think about don't take on the criticism from the cheap seats. It's only people that are in mm. the arena giving it a good go that you should worry about. And I think that's something that I've changed my mind about. I'm going to try and be more resilient to criticism. I like that one a lot. Um, don't take the criticism from the folks in the cheap sheets. <laughs> yeah, 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 sheets, yeah, like yeah, stuff them. Uh, <laughs> um, what, what, what is the most misunderstood thing about you? I don't know if it's misunderstood, but the the anomaly in my life is that I've been single for 30 years and that I, I don't have a partner and I haven't had a partner for many, many years. So I think perhaps the most misunderstood thing about me is that I don't know whether other people don't think I'm worthy or I don't think I'm worthy of love or whatever, but that part is missing from my life. So in some ways, I think perhaps I'm misunderstood that, you know, I'm happy being single. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because it's, it's, it's good to, to, to verbalize something like that. And I get a, a wide variety of answers sometimes, which is why I like to ask the question. And it, you know, it makes people think about it. And I think I'm a firm believer in putting intentions out into the universe. And so I've had some interesting intentions go out from this manifested somehow. <laughs> so I keep telling my guests, like, if you have something you want to put out there, let's the, the more we can put it out and put that vibration and change that frequency to like a, a high fun and putting a positivity out. I'd be interested to see what happens. And yeah, yeah. I'll, put that out. <laughs> I'll, t I'll tweet, I'll tweet you if I ever meet anyone, <laughs> I'll let you know that something shifted and changed, but you know what, to be fair, because I'm been writing and podcasting and teaching full time. I've been so busy. I haven't had to, time to even think about it. So that's actually been really nice. It's not something that's been in the forefront of my mind. And and that actual desire for intimacy since menopause has shifted a lot. So that's really actually a relief. Since I hit menopause, I don't have that desperate yeah. need for that physical contact or yeah. intimacy with people. So that's really nice. So uh, things are a bit lighter and easier. If that's too much information, you can cut that out. <laughs> no. That's what happens on the show. We start to have uh, hour-long conversations, as I'm sure you've experienced yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So much for uh, reaching out because I knew from the moment we connected that, you know, we were uh, like-minded. Uh, we had like-minded energy, enthusiasm. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that we hit it off. And I, I, I sort of always knew that I was going to make the invite and then you asked anyway. So it, it seemed like the perfect timing. And it's just this idea of, you know, continuing to have jokes and telling their stories. And so I'm, I'm really appreciative for you opening up, telling your story and sharing it with my audience and taking the time to do that. 
And I'm really appreciative of you for having me on your show. I had an instant connection with you when I met, met you and I hope we'll be friends for life now. I really, you know, look forward to seeing you again at other festivals around the world and staying in touch on social media. So thanks very much and good luck with your yeah. show and good luck with everything that you do. And finally, thank you for sharing all your knowledge with us at Podcast Movement. That was really, really so valuable and amazing. Okay. Um, yeah, where's, where, where can folks uh, track you down online? So people can find me. Um, I'm I'm Facebook, Hong Kong Confidential. I'm on Twitter at Jules Hannaford, H-A-N-N-A-F-O-R-D. I'm on Instagram, Jules underscore in underscore HK or Hong Kong Confidential or Fool Me Twice. And my email is jules at hongkongconfidential.net. So, yeah, get in touch. I'd love to hear your reactions to this podcast. Or if you check out Hong Kong Confidential, give me your feedback. That would be amazing. And as usual, all those links will be provided in our show notes. So thanks again. Hope you have a fantastic day. Yeah, you too, Harry. Thank you. See you later. So thanks again to Jules for coming on the show. Always a good support. Uh, it was so much fun. We had podcast movement when we first met. She showed up at a podcast primer that I gave uh, the day before podcast movement. And then long story short, we ran into each other throughout the conference and we ended up hanging out at karaoke together, which is always a fun time. Make sure you check out the full show notes at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 178. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his fantastic catalog of music. Stay tuned next week for my conversation with Wynn Charles, host of the Ask Win podcast. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive my weekly updates when episodes go live, podcastjunkies.com forward slash eight tools. If you made it this far, you are looking for the retention hashtag. It is Hong Kong Jewels. Hong Kong, J-U-L-E-S, that's the hashtag, and you can tag myself at podcast underscore junkies and Jules at Jules Hannaford, J-U-L-E-S-H-A-N-N-A-F-O-R-D. Thanks for everything you do to support the show and for joining me on this crazy ride that is Podcast Junkies. I love you guys. I'll talk to you next week.